0: I encourage you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, and we are starting our Advent series this morning, uh, looking at uh, what we're calling "Son of the Most High." Uh, the look of at Jesus' ber- birth in the Gospel of Luke. Maybe you, uh, for those of you who have had kids or or are thinking about having kids. You know all about that dreaded conversation of what to name the kid. You know what I'm talking about. In this day and age, now that we have Google, uh, I was actually with some international students last night. We had them over for our, uh, a dinner at our house. And I told them I was in college before Google existed. And they looked at me, and they're like, are you serious? I said, yeah. I was a college graduate before the iPhone came out. And they just looked at me like I was dead. And that's okay. So, but now, when, they, when people name children, uh, when they name their children, they Google search all sorts of the top lists of names. I know when, when Jennifer and I have been trying to pick out names for our kids, we have our own cute system, right? So, like, because I'm so bad with names, we actually had to name each of our kids down the alphabet a little bit more so I know that Olivia is after Adeline. And after Ella, but Ella's in between Adeline. Do you guys see how that? alphabetically that's how we had to do it so I could even remember their names? And I remember with Adeline, we were thinking, well, we don't want, we, we don't want, Jennifer's name was really popular in the 90s. And so like, she had like 10 classmates one year that, by the name of Jennifer. And she's like, I hated that. So, we're, so we were looking for what is a great name but is super unique. No one else is ever going to pick this name. And we're like, we don't want anything in the top 800, OK? Ever. Like, we, we want to pick a name that's not in the top 800. And so we picked Adeline, And lo and behold, a whole bunch of people that year picked Adeline as well. In fact, actually, when she was in third grade, enrolled um, at, at uh, the intermediate school, there were four other Adelines in her class. And we just think, what in the world is going on? You know, I, I, I wish it would be as easy as what we see in the Gospel of Luke. And, and that is simply that the angel Gabriel told Mary what to name Jesus. Hey, you're going to have a child. His name is going to be Jesus. They didn't have to worry about how popular the name was. They didn't have to worry about Googling a list of names to find one that was unique to their culture or things that they valued or anything like that. But what we're going to see this morning in the Gospel of Luke is why uh, Jesus uh, is such a unique and important person for us this morning. Uh, This name given by uh, the angel Gabriel is not the only description of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to see why that is so important. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 32 eight together Uh, and let me pray for us as we jump into god's word and then we will we will look at the first season of advent lord we pray that this morning we would see uh all the work that you're doing in the fulfillment of your plan and even if we don't even understand all of it lord we pray that we would trust and submit to your plan because you are a good and faithful god father use the passage this morning, uh, as a model for us for how we can respond in faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me read the passage for us, and then I'll give us a big idea and a road map of where we're headed. Here's what Luke records. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly disturbed at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, we're going to look at this passage kind of in three different ways. We're going to look at the plan of the Most High in verses 26 to 33. We're going to look at the power of the Most High in verses 34 to 37. And we're going to look at the response of faith towards the Most High in verse 38. And here's the big idea we want to walk away with this morning. That if there's nothing else that we get from reading through the Gospel of Luke, this is the big idea we want to walk away with. Submit to God's good plan. Because we can believe God's plan even when we don't fully understand it. Our call for us today is to submit to God's good plan because we can believe God's plan even when we don't fully understand. So let's look at verses 26 to 33. The plan of the Most High. So we're in the Gospel of Luke. Last week, we were in the Gospel of John. It's a different writer. Uh, It's a different Gospel, but about the same person. And now, for the month of December, for Advent, we are in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Little is known about Luke, uh, other than he's the author of both the book Luke and Acts in the New Testament. We know that he was a physician, and, and we believe that he's the only Gentile to have written any part of the New Testament. Luke was a close friend of Paul, the apostle, who referred to him as the beloved physician. And Luke wrote this account of Jesus' life and ministry. His purpose uh, of writing this two-part series was so that this person named Theophilus would know with certainty about the person and the work of Jesus. In fact, if you were to read Luke chapter 1 earlier uh, in verse 4, he mentions Theophilus specifically. And the first two chapters of Luke begin really in the days of Herod, who reigned in Israel under Roman authority from 37 B.C. to 40 B.C. At, At this point in human history, it had been hundreds of years since the Lord had sent a prophet to his people. But if we were to read the beginning of Luke chapter 1, we'd see that that was about to change. That Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, and he would announce the arrival of the Messiah, whom Mary was pregnant with, Jesus the Christ. And so earlier in Luke 1, the birth of John the Baptist was foretold. And it's actually kind of similar to how we see Jesus' birth being foretold in our passage. John, though, would be born to a priest. Uh, That makes sense. Zechariah was a faithful servant of the Lord. And so for him to have the honor of of his son who would pronounce the coming of the Messiah, that that makes sense to us. And the angel of the Lord uh, named Gabriel brought a message to Zechariah. And Zechariah, uh, uh, God promised him uh, and his wife, Elizabeth, this faithful couple in Jerusalem, that God would do a miraculous work in their lives, even though they were old and and Elizabeth was known as barren. She would give birth to a son named John. Now, they thought that this was too impossible for God. Uh, Surprisingly, actually, the priest in the temple in Jerusalem, if there was anyone who would think that this would be something that God could do, it should be Zechariah but actually we read that he did not believe the promise of God. So now it's six months later and the angel Gabriel isn't speaking to a priest of God in the temple of Jerusalem in the center city. Now he's in the middle of nowhere town speaking to a young woman. Now the angel Gabriel is on a new assignment sent from God, verse 26 of our passage says, to this small one-horse town. And Gabriel went to this young woman named Mary, who's betrothed to Joseph, who we find out is in the lineage of King David. God is smiling on this young, unknown girl from a town with a bad reputation. Later in the Gospels, we see when people hear that Jesus is from Nazareth, the question is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the type of reputation that Nazareth had if we think that zechariah uh, had been chosen for to have this son john the baptist uh, was was a great honor because he's a priest immediately we see the reality that that gabriel the angel greeting mary shows that that she's picked simply by god's grace that that, that, that's the reality of all of this zechariah and elizabeth are, are about to end their lives well And Mary and Joseph are just about to begin theirs. And what God does in the world, what we see, has nothing to do with our age or where we come from. God uses whom he will. And so we should not overlook how important this announcement is to Mary. This is the announcement of one of the greatest events to ever happen in the world. God becoming flesh for us. This is the passage which we should read every single time with a mixture of of wonder and and love and and praise towards God. Notice what we see about Mary, who will be the mother of the Most High. She's a young woman, betrothed to a man named Joseph, and, and betrothal is something like engagement, but it's a little bit more than what we would call engagement in this day you could only break this engagement by getting a divorce for sexual immorality Uh, that's the level of commitment is going on here and two times in this one verse actually she is described as a virgin a virgin is a woman who could never have a child in a natural way because she's never had a relationship with a man that would make the birth of a child possible and notice the great privilege of mary here gabriel calls her favored one he tells her the lord is with you now if that feels weird to us we we might quickly say you know the roman catholic church has held up Mary as an object of worship, and and she's prayed to as a mediator between God and humanity, no less powerful than Christ himself. And we realize we don't think that's what the Bible teaches at all. And so it's easy to reject everything, therefore, that might honor Mary. But then I think we'd be throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and that'd be wrong to do. Even as Christians reject the veneration of Mary, Uh, there's a tendency to downplay the role of Mary, right? Our passage tells us, though, that she's highly favored. And what made her favored? Well, Mary was chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, who is God's rescue plan for the world. I think it's also worth noting that, that it was a woman and not a man who brought the Savior into the world. It seems that when an angel shows up, people are troubled, right? Mary's troubled by the situation. I'm pretty certain angels are tired of saying, hey, don't be afraid. Uh, uh, That's what the angel Gabriel says to Mary. She doesn't seem to understand what's going on. She seems troubled. After all, how could she, who's an insignificant young lady, receive such kindness from God? Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like your life is too small for God to notice? Or too insignificant uh, that for God to even be aware of you or maybe even to forget about you? That might be how Mary felt. But we see that that's just not true at all. Here we see God's plan involving Mary in verse 31. She is to have a baby. Gabriel's announcement is anything but little. Mary will have a son. And that seems like great news. Except she's a virgin and not married. But this isn't just any baby. This child would be given the name of Jesus. And there's something important going on here that we shouldn't miss. Jesus is not just any baby. Look at verse 32 with me in our passage. It says this, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Mary's son will actually be the Son of the Most High. He will be God's own son, as we see later on in the passage. This is more than any human could ever have imagined or even dreamed of. And while there's similarities between John the Baptist's birth that's being foretold and Jesus' birth that's being foretold, it's clear that Mary's child is going to be the greater of the two. Jesus is no forerunner for the Lord. Jesus is the Son of God himself. He is the one who will receive the throne of the great King David. He is the one who will bring God's never-ending reign to earth. Do you guys notice how in our passage Jesus is both the Son of God and yet will have an earthly throne from an earthly heritage of the human King David? Do you guys see how both of those are happening here? Do you see the, the complexity of who Jesus is? Jesus will be both a descendant of King David human, and the Son of God, divine. Not one or the other. Not one at one point and then the other at a different point. No. Both together. At the same time. Jesus will, as verse 33 says, he will reign over the house of Jacob, human throne, but he will do it forever, which must be divine, because only God is eternal. His kingdom will have no end. Don't miss this important description of Jesus. It's easy to see the humanity of Jesus. We know Jesus as a man, but we also must see him at the same time as fully divine, as the Son of the Most High. Because if we get one part right and not the other, we're at risk of missing who Jesus is, and we miss God altogether. So to miss Jesus' divinity would make Jesus merely a man who has all the same fallen problems that we have. He could not save anyone. He would indeed need saving himself and to miss Jesus' humanity would make Jesus God who's uninvolved in his creation. But we see Jesus is both human and divine. We should not miss this important description of Jesus. In fact, the Son of the Most High will fulfill the promise made to King David hundreds of years earlier. This will be David's son, who rules over Israel forever in a forever kingdom. Jesus will be great, it says in verse 32, but he'll have really humble beginnings. I remember for a long time, I'd read the Gospel of Luke, or I'd read the account of of Jesus' birth, and I was always so bewildered at how John the Baptist, uh, he was the son of a priest in the temple of Jerusalem, This is a high honor. And yet Jesus, being born in a manger in a stable with poor parents, yet the king of the universe? How bewildering. Notice the unassuming way that our savior of humanity came. The angel who announced Jesus is coming to an obscure town in Galilee, Nazareth of all places, And the woman who is to be honored to be his mother had a humble position in life. At some level, we need to be amazed at the condensation of the Son of God, Okay, Uh, What I mean by that is that Jesus had to stoop low to come to earth. Even if Jesus had been the most powerful king in the most powerful kingdom, from the moment of birth here on earth, that's still a step down from glory. What a pay cut, even if Jesus had become the greatest king on earth. He had to stoop even lower, beyond what our minds can comprehend, to come to this humble birth. But he did so, so that what we read in Hebrews 2, would be true. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Isn't that incredible? Oh, how low was our Redeemer brought I'm pretty sure we're singing that song sometime this month. Is that right? What a fantastic idea to think that God of the universe has come down to these humble beginnings for our sake. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. We must not miss the plan of the Most High. God's plan for Jesus was not just to be born, but to reign as king over God's people forever. The plan of the Most High is to establish his kingdom forever through the unique Son of God who is both divine and human. Friends, we know that this comes to pass not simply in Jesus' birth, but in Jesus' birth that led to a sinless life that then led to Jesus willingly going to the cross for us in our place. Jesus, though he was fully human and fully divine, having never sinned in any moment in thought or word or action or deed, willingly went to the cross for us so that we would not feel the wrath of our rebellion against God, Jesus took it upon himself. And then on the third day, he victoriously rose from the dead. He was raised for our justification so that all who put their trust in him would be saved. We'd be forgiven. We'd be redeemed. We'd be adopted into the family of God. And it started here in the birth of Jesus. Paul writes about Jesus So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what we see here in the miraculous birth of Jesus that's being foretold here in Luke chapter 1. Uh, The plan isn't to end there. The plan is to go to the cross and then to the tomb and then to empty the tomb and then to ascend back into heaven where every knee will one day bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. This is the wonderful plan of the Most High. And because Jesus is fully God and fully man, He is our perfect Savior. He needed to be God to supply righteousness that we could not earn. Jesus needed to be human to supply to God what we owe. Jesus became the only mediator between God and humanity. And so we can submit to God's good plan because we can believe his plan even when we don't fully understand Let's look at the next part of our passage in verses 34 to 37. Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her her old age also has conceived a son And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. The plan and the purpose of the Most High comes through the power of the Most High. So naturally, Mary is curious how this would happen. Her opposition isn't thinking of of limiting God, it just displays her own limitations. For the third time in our passage, we see that Mary is a virgin. Mary shouldn't expect to have a baby, any baby in any natural way, because she'd never had a relationship with a man that would make the birth of a child possible. Yet we see that Jesus' birth was a supernatural event. The Holy Spirit would come upon Mary, and the power of the Most High would overshadow her. You know, in the book of Leviticus, the birth of a child caused a woman to be unclean because she brought a sinner into the world. Here, Mary is told she's not bringing a sinner into the world. Instead, Jesus is holy, not unclean. He's holy without sin. Scholars understand that that the passing of sinful nature comes from the Father. Just as Adam is attributed as the one through whom sin came into the world, it is fathers who pass along the sinful nature. Sorry to my kids. Uh, They have me as their dad. Uh, Jesus was born without sin. So if Mary was not a virgin, if any man had been Jesus' father, Jesus would have inherited a sinful nature. This is why Jesus was able to be the atoning sacrifice. Jesus, who's described as our sacrificial lamb, cannot be our sacrifice if he isn't perfect. He's not able, he's not qualified to step in our place and take on our sin if he has to deal with his own already. So it's actually critical for the purpose of God's redemption that Jesus was born sinless and for Mary to be a virgin when Jesus was born and almost as if God wanted to demonstrate his ability to do what seems impossible for God to demonstrate that he really does do supernatural things like this the angel Gabriel tells Mary of her relative Elizabeth who's somewhere between 60 and 80 years old, to be pregnant, though she was previously unable to have children. If God could do that, he could certainly give Mary a child, though Mary was a virgin. Gabriel says as a reminder in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Luke gives two miracle conceptions. Elizabeth conceiving though she was barren and Mary conceiving though she is a virgin or was a virgin. Friends, does our faith only go as far as our logic? I'm not saying the logic is bad in any way. But how do you respond to situations that seem impossible? Do you have faith? Do you have faith? questions and concerns and skepticism. Do you, do you, maybe you read verse 37 and you wonder why life still looks the way it is. If nothing is impossible with God, then why isn't God helping me with the troubles that I have? How do we reconcile that nothing is impossible with God when it feels like God isn't always helping in our lives? When you feel afraid, or anxious, or frustrated, friends, we can actually know and trust that God, who is in heaven, is working for our good. He is doing the impossible even when it seems like he's not doing anything at all. It may not feel like it now, but God, brothers and sisters, God is working for in your situation, for your good. Not for your destruction. Not for your upheaval. Not for your anxiousness. He's actually working for your good. The best part is he's going to make your situation work out for your good because he's promised that very thing to us. So even when things don't make sense, that nothing is impossible for God, and yet we still struggle day to day, maybe tomorrow you go back to work and it's terrible. And you're like, I thought God, nothing was impossible with him. It's true actually. Nothing is impossible with God. It means that he's working in your context and situation in a way that you don't yet know. And it's not for your destruction. It's for your good. So we can submit to God's good plan because we can believe God's plan even when we don't fully understand how it's going to work out yet. Let's look at Mary's response in verse 38. Her faith towards the Most High. Verse 38 says this. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. When we realize that nothing is impossible with God, we can say wholeheartedly, we are the servants of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Notice how that's actually exactly uh, Mary's faith response here. Remember also how her faith response compares to other faithful people responding to God's plan, even when they don't even fully understand it. Think of what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6. Here I am, send me. He had no clue what he was about to get into. Think of Esther in Esther 4. She says, then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Think of Ruth, of what she says in Ruth 1. She says to Naomi, after her husband has died, after they are dirt poor, she says to Naomi, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Think of what Job says in chapter 13. He says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Think of what Jesus says later in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 22, he says this Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Uh, Speaking of the cross that he was about to bear. But he says, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Notice Mary's faith. In verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Remember, as Mary responds in faith, she's saying yes to the potential of public shame. She faces the prospect of a divorce and then maybe never marrying and being destitute. She's facing potentially being cast from her home and from her family in shame. And though she's facing all these things, Mary spoke with faith. She concluded that whatever God's will is for her, let it be. As Christians, we cannot truly be servants of Jesus unless we accept his plan for our lives. He will not be our Lord if we insist on ruling ourselves. This is how faith responds to grace. When God promises a Savior, we celebrate. When God announces his plan for our lives, we say, let it be so. So brothers and sisters, this Advent season, let that be the the, the posture of our hearts. Let us say jesus every day this month father whatever or i guess say to god i i'm not trying to confuse jesus and the father sorry about that let our faith be expressed in this way father whatever you have for me let it be so because you're not working for my bad you're working for my good we can trust that let us renew our faith and reconfirm our commitment Saying, with joy to God about our lives, let it be so. Because we remember our promise-keeping God has sent Jesus, the Son of the Most High. He has sent him to come and rescue. And he sent Jesus in the most humble of beginnings, so that in every temptation we can look to him. Brothers and sisters, let's submit to God's good plan because we believe God's plan even when we don't fully understand. What a kind measure of God to send us Jesus, the Son of the Most High. What a unique title and person of Jesus who is both the Son of God and occupies the throne of an earthly king, King David, and he will do so forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sending of Jesus in a way that surprised everyone, in a way that no one expected but was perfect. Father, help us to, to, like Mary, when we don't fully understand all of what it means for, uh, for your plans, help us to, to express our trust in you and our faith in you, like Mary, by saying, let it be so. So, Father, this Advent season, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus, would you have your way with our hearts? Would you have your way with our lives so that we can also say, Father, we trust you even if we don't fully understand your plan. Whatever it is with our lives, let it be so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stay-